Got praise for the Sabbath. I mean, I got a right to just ignore stuff and just focus on him, amen? And then as they began to sing, we welcome you. I just began to think of welcoming the presence of God in this place. And then we turned around and talked about, come, let us worship the Lord and the beauty of holiness. Worship him, give God the honor, give him the praise. Oh, and then y'all messed me up. And just, he's awesome. Man, that, that word right there, man. I know it's not even sufficient enough to explain how good God is. But I just feel, that word has just been in my vocabulary a whole lot late, lately. God is just awesome. Awesome. Anybody blessed today? If you love Jesus, will you just holler yes? Protector, deliverer, awesome. (laughs) He's mighty. What is he to you today? What is is he to you today? I mean, y'all just want a sermon and we, we done? What is he to you? What is he? What has the Lord been to you? Look, now talk back to me. What is he to you? Healed me when I was broken. That's why I just like awesome. You, just, you don't got words. He's awesome. The balm in Gilead. Huh? What else is he to you today? I don't know. Huh? Sustainer. Deliverer. Man, get happy about Jesus. Not because I told you to. He's awesome. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, y'all know I'm a priest today. <laughs> oh, believe that. Oh, we're going to bring it today. The atmosphere is set. How can I not preach? Come on, somebody. Listen, if a donkey stood up here, he'd have something to say. The Holy Ghost is all up in here. Amen? <sighs> Man, the ch- children going downstairs, there's children's church prepared for you. If you have any children there. Send them downstairs to worship, um, and you can also get them out of your hair for a little while, amen? Amen. You can, uh, you got to focus a little bit, but if those of you who have children, we ask you to take them downstairs for Children's Church. Let's get, let's, let's get into this thing today. You know, this, this whole series uh, of the gray has, has so many implications, and one of the things I'm learning about Paul in particular um, is that Paul is difficult to understand. He is. Um, I remember the first time I read the book of Romans. I was praising God I got to chapter 12 because I, I did not know what Paul was talking about from chapters 1 through 12. And even your boy Peter went so far as saying, uh, read, it's in the Bible. Peter was like, man, the, the writings of Paul, I, I mean, I, I struggle. Peter said he struggles to sometimes figure out Paul. But one of the things I've noticed about Paul is Paul does this, and this is instructive for you in your living as well as in your study of God's word, particularly as we are dealing with the books of Romans, as we're dealing with the book of Ephesians, as we're dealing with Galatians, as we're dealing in these books that teach us how to live. One thing that Paul does is Paul always starts off with a theological premise. Now, I'm not trying to be deep. I'm simply saying is Paul's first move is to talk about God and how we should view God. 
Because the way that one sees God is going to determine how one lives. If God is mighty, y'all just saying all this. If God is mighty, then you should walk around here with some authority. That's right. That's right. That's right. If he's a deliverer, right. you shouldn't be crying when that's something right. bad happens. That's right. That's right. You should expect it. Come on in here, somebody. If he's your protector, no matter what happens, whether you're in Boston or not, you trust God. Right? Understand, the way that you view God will determine the way that you live. And I just want to say this right now. Just stay with your boy. Many of us, our lives are, are, are a reflection of how we view God, right? So my question to you is, is the way that you live, what does it say about God? Remember now, the scriptures say that God is literally making an appeal through us, Bruce. He's talking through us. In other words, Christ is not going to come down here and preach to the world and get them ready for the end of time. No, Christ is talking through your life. In other words, through my life, the Bible says that he is making his appeal. Ah, God is pleading, Frank. He is pleading for people through my life. And he doesn't need words. Our lives should be so powerful, Rudd, that, that, that literally that the words of Christ come alive by the way we live. And so this is why we are talking about this thing called the gray. The gray is simply this. There are these areas in our lives where there is not necessarily a Bible text to say I should do this or I should not do that. But what God has given us is a brain. <laughs> I thought I'd get it. Thank you. Praise God. You, are, you got a brain in your head, right? And so you can reason what it is that God is saying. No, no, we depend not on reason, but however, we depend on what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So in other words, I'm not creating my own morality. I'm not walking around here. Listen, one of the worst things that you can possibly say is I'm not convicted on this. Okay, okay. Listen, don't say that. Don't say that. Don't, don't say I'm not convicted on this. Don't say that. What you're doing is reinforcing ignorance. What you should say is God is going to reveal this thing to me because the spirit is always bringing us into conviction. It's just a matter of whether we have accepted what the spirit has said. Bottom line, if you ain't convicted, it's because you ain't listening. Amen. Or because you have not understood what it is that God is trying to show you about a particular subject. So notice what Paul does. Paul. And listen, this is so important. The reason I understand the word the way I do and I'm able to break it down to you is because I understand this. Paul will do this. His books are always divided in two sections. The first section is he's telling you th deep theological things. In the book of Romans, he's breaking down all this deep stuff. I was praising God when he got to verse chapter 7 where he said the, the good that I want to do, I don't do. Y'all understand that, right? Everybody loves that passage of scripture because it's finally like, Paul, finally, you said something I can understand. But what Paul is really trying to do is he is trying to develop the theology behind why many of us live. If you see God wrong, you're going to live wrong. And the way that you live is a reflection on how you see God. Uh, Y'all repeat after me. The way I see God is reflected in how I live. So that my life should say who God is. What a responsibility that God has placed on believers that he has literally chosen us, Paul says, to be epistles of Christ. In other words, I am a Bible. I am the scriptures to those that do not believe. My life is scripture. Everything I do is based on scripture. I do not say in my opinion. I say thus saith the Lord. I do not say, well, we used to do it this way. I say thus saith the Lord. 
I, I do not. I do not try to. I do not try to uh, to rationalize. Listen, my life ought to be based on a clear thus saith the Lord. Paul in his writings always started off breaking down what God was. So that then he could say in Romans 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice. In other words, I ain't going to tell you how to live till I tell you who you're living for. Many of us are not clear who we're living for. I don't live for myself. I live for God. And so that's what we want to talk about today. Amen. Let's rewind very quickly. Let's move on. First thing we told you is a beautiful thing about salvation. Now, if y'all don't shout today, I'm going to throw the Bible at you. Promise you. Literally, I'm going to throw it, knock it upside your head, and make you shout. Amen? Uh, in other words, listen, if there's anything, Ellen White says, anything we should be excited about, excited about what Christ did on the cross. She says that you have permission to demonstrate some emotion there. When you begin to consider what Christ has done for you, personalizing that experience every day, every day you ought to take yourself to the foot of the cross and remind yourself of what God did for you. That way you won't go out and act crazy. That keeps things in perspective, right? So notice what Hebrews 10 says about our great salvation. It says, for, read this everybody, for by one sacrifice he has done what? Now, made perfect, what tense is that? It's past tense. So when did God make you perfect? In the past, many of us believe perfection comes when I do a bunch of good things. The Bible says that God already made you perfect. You just need to believe and accept that he did it. Am I reading scripture here? Oh, we can look like a bored crowd here today. Man, I miss, I miss my morning service already. It says forever those who are being what? Made holy. So understand this. He made you perfect past tense. And while he is making you holy. Oh, come on. Y'all not hearing me now. All right, I'll break it down in a minute. So this is what sanctification is. There are really two significant parts to sanctification. You can say three, but there are really two significant parts. The first one is what? Justification. Yes, right there on the scene. It's what, everybody? Justification. And justification is to do what? Is to be made righteous. No, it's to be what? It's to be declared righteous. So understand this, but don't worry about the kids. They're getting their praise on downstairs. See, we, we were so loud up here, they couldn't hear the first part. So now it's their turn. We switch, you know what I'm saying? It's their praise and worship time. Justification is God looking at Mike and saying, Mike, ain't nothing about you righteous, but I call you righteous. It's a declaration. Justification is a what, everybody? It's a declaration. In other words, justification is when Christ died on the cross for you. He literally took you into himself. And because he paid the penalty, you were in him. And so whatever he is, he declares about you. He says, I declare you righteous. That's good news. I'm not righteous, but I'm going to call you righteous. And whatever God calls righteous is righteous. Come on, say amen. And so sanctification is to be what? Talk back to me. To be what? To be declared righteous. Sanctification is to be what? So in other words, God has said, Mike, you're righteous. So now it's God's job for the rest of his life to make him what he said. There are many of us in here that don't feel too righteous. If you're here, just wave your hand like the pastor. How many of you don't feel too righteous? You don't feel too holy? Yeah, I mean, some of us feel we are, but that's a great example that you ain't righteous. If you feel you're righteous, that is a testimony that you're not righteous. Come on, say amen. The Bible says whoever says that he sinned, he has not sinned, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. One of the first lessons you'll learn about salvation is how desperately you need God. 
Oh, thank you, Jesus. I used to actually get depressed. I used to get downcast because I would see how messed up I was. I would see all the flaws. I would see all the issues. I would see all the sin. And I would say, there's no way I can get to God. There's no way that God will accept me. I keep coming down the altar and I keep going back to the same thing. I keep coming down the altar and I keep going back to the same thing. I keep repenting and I keep going back. I keep confessing and I keep going back. And God says, your problem is, is he says, I never asked you to be Jesus. I just told you to believe in Jesus. We got to get in him. So sanctification is uh, God is so awesome. God is saying, he said, look, I just declared Joe righteous. So I'm so bad. I'm so awesome in who I am that I'm going to make him for the rest of his life what I said he is. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's working on you right now. He is. Well, come on. Talk to me, somebody. God is working on you right now to make you what he said you already are. So you have been made perfect while you are being made holy. Is there anybody that can give God praise today that God is still working on you? Case in point, my wife was at Meharry. When my wife was at Meharry Medical School, she hadn't hadn't had nary dental license. She hadn't taken her boards. She's year one. She's already working on people's teeth, doing root canals, uh, uh, all the stuff that y'all don't like doing. Come on, say amen, somebody. Hey, by the way, just a quick plug. Uh, uh, take care of your mouth. Amen. Amen. Take care of your mouth. Praise the Lord, somebody. You got to do that thing. Amen. It'll come back to bite you at some point. Uh, no pun intended. It'll come back to bite you. Uh, you missed it. Put over here. Okay. While my wife was in dental school, they would call them doctor, even though they weren't doctors yet. As a matter of fact, they didn't even put a white coat on them. They putting scrubs on them, treating them like they're doctors, and they had not nary degree. By the way, nary is the black way of saying they didn't have a degree, all right? So she didn't have anything. They're calling her doctor. I was blown away by that. They were treating her like she was already a doctor, even though she was not. My case. I'm at Oakwood. I'm, a sec- I'm in my third year at Oakwood because I have been running from the Lord, and I'm studying for the ministry. The first day I'm in theolo- theology class, the teacher calls me preacher. I I don't got no church. Come on, say amen, somebody. I don't got nobody following me. I ain't baptized nobody. But what what it is 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 they are talking to me in in ways which I can understand that I I am now becoming what I will be. Yes, yes. It's the way you motivate people. And here's the thing, especially schools like my wife was in. See, they so trusted their system. They said, if you get in our system, if you follow our instructions, if you let us call you doctor, in four years, you'll be a dentist. Trust my system. This is what Christ is saying. Christ is saying, I declare you righteous. I'm saying it on the front end. I'm not going to say it on the back end. I'm going to say it now because if you believe what I said, then your life is going to be made based on what I said. Trust my system. Stop trying to work your way to heaven. Stop trying to do good to get to heaven. He said, all you got to do is believe. Now, why is this important? This is important because, see, next week when Pastor Coxon gets back, and I was telling the first service, I mean, I just, I, I took, I, I brought this here because I missed John so much. <laughs> I'm just going to pretend he's here. Amen. I'm just going to look over there from time to time and wait for him to respond. Amen. But when John gets back next week, we're going to start talking about, should we drink alcohol? Yeah. Some of y'all think that the answer is already given, right? Okay. I'm just telling you it's an issue. Amen. Uh, we are, we're going to talk about how a Christian should dress. Okay. We're, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about uh, entertainment, what kind of entertainment we should have. We're going to talk about dating practices and all these things. See, all this stuff that we've been fighting over for years, the reason why we got it all jacked up 
And why is because we're putting the cart before the horse. Right. See, look, we're talking about Jesus right now so that when we talk about that stuff later, you'll have the right perspective. In other words, we don't do those things. I don't dress the way I don't do. I ain't doing none of this to go to heaven. There's a reason why I'm doing it. I'm going to show you in a minute. But you must have correct theology before you can have the right perspective. Notice what the word of God says. It says in Ephesians 5, read with me, everybody. And hope does not put us to what? Because God's love or his righteousness has been poured out into our what? Through the what? So let me ask you this question. How does the righteousness of Christ get into my heart? Through the Holy Spirit. In other words, hallelujah, when he declares me righteous, he then sends me some help. In other words, he's not saying I declare you righteous now. You're on your own. Do what I tell you to do. Obey me. Keep my commandments. No. He said, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to invade your life and the Holy Spirit is going to keep the commandments for you. Do you realize that in your human flesh that you cannot keep God's law? The only way you can do it is if you have the spirit of God living in you. Let me keep moving here. And so here's what happens. You must embrace the mind of Christ. One of the reasons why people are always getting into debates and arguments about what we should do and why we shouldn't do is because they have not understood what it means to have the mind of Christ. If you have the mind of Christ, will you go to the club? I don't know. You tell me. I'm just saying, I mean, you don't got to answer back. We'll answer in a little while. But I'm saying if you have the mind of Christ, are there certain people that you're going to date or not date? If you have the mind of Christ. See, the problem is many of us are waiting to make decisions when we get in a situation instead of embracing the mind of Christ before we get there. When you have Christ's mindset, you will make right decisions. And remember, I told you the wrong question to ask is, is it right or wrong? Wrong. That ain't even in the Bible. Look in the Bible. It's not even in there. Show me one biblical who argues, is it right or wrong? You know what the premise is in the Bible? Either wisdom or Christ. In other words, can I do this thing in front of the bleeding body of Jesus Christ? Can I, am, am, am I cool with taking part in this activity with the broken body of my Savior, his hands nailed to, to a cross, his feet nailed to a cross, his, his mouth declaring, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Can I do that? Can I take this CD and plug it into the bleeding body of Jesus Christ and will it play? Can I, can, I, can I come to the altar in marriage with the bleeding body of Christ standing there and, 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 and believe in my heart that Christ approves of this relationship? See, our, our oh, please, I wish I, I'm not feeling like y'all hearing me today. Our methodology, our rubric for right and wrong is Christ. So if you have the mind of Christ, you have the right what? And if you have the right thoughts, you have the right what? If you have the right feelings, you have the right what? The problem is many of us start talking about behavior before we talk about people's minds. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't go here. Don't wear that. Don't do this. Don't watch this. Don't do that. You shouldn't do this. Don't go there. You go to hell. You do this. You're going to go to hell. Uh, go to hell. You're doing this. you hell. Go to hell. Hell. Hell this and hell that. Hell for what you eat. Hell this. Hell this. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. I'm just going to tell you right now. There's no psychologist that will tell you that's great. That's a great way to motivate people to do what's right. The best way to motivate people to do what's right is to present positive reinforcement. Tell them what Christ has done. Get the mind of Christ in them and we won't be sitting around trying to figure out what's right and wrong. And listen, I'm going to tell you now, people ain't scared to go to hell no more. Especially when they done lived in hell all their lives. They said, I'm just going to be changing locations, but I've been living hell all my life. 
I ain't scared to be lost. I'm telling you what people have told me. Life has been so rough. Life has been such a failure for me. I don't even care anymore. Can't scare nobody to serve Jesus by telling them they're going to hell over everything. You're going to hell to do this. You're going to hell. Hell, 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 hell on this, hell on that. Hell, you right, stop cussing. You say hell so much, it done turned to a cuss word now. Everything is hell. Everything people are going to hell. God is displeased with this. He's displeased with that. You have to start with the mind before you go to behavior. Many of us are doing this with our kids. All we do is tell them, don't do this, don't do that. And then when they ask why, y'all know black folks, ah! Because I said so! Like a demon comes in you, you know. Black folk go into a whole nother world when they go into discipline mode. No, at some point you're going to need to tell them why. That's why a whole generation has left Glenville. They're starting to come back now. They left because y'all told them what not to do, but y'all didn't tell them why. Because you didn't know why. Somebody just told you you shouldn't do it. And you said, well, they told me, so I believe it. And you're not supposed to do it. Truth is, probably you shouldn't do it, but you have to be able to give a reason. In other words, in order to affect people's behavior, you have to first start in the mind. Let's keep moving. Can we roll? I'm going to move past this. The Bible says in Philippians 2, what does it say? Let this what? Nah, it doesn't talk about what you're wearing, what you're drinking, and all that kind of stuff. It says start with the mind. Uh, Go to Romans 12. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your clothes. By the renewing of your what? In other words, I start with my mind, then I can work on my behavior. It's hot in here. Uh, Let's let's, let's move. Let's move. Let's move. I want to get in this word. Uh, Here it is. Free to be a slave. Let's talk about this now. Let's look at the book of Galatians. I want to show you something powerful today from the writings of Paul. And pray my strength in the Lord. Amen. Here it goes. Galatians 5. I want y'all to read this me real, real loud. Make your, nerve, uh, your neighbor beside you who's sleeping, like, real nervous. I mean, give them the shock thing. When you just, like, they don't know where they are. Galatians 5, you ready? Are you ready? It's on the screen. The Bible says, everybody, it is for that Christ has set us You've been freed for freedom. The Bible says, then do what? And do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of what? Let's keep going. Verse 2. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you what? Christ will be of what? Stay with me. Verse 3. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be that he is obligated to obey the whole what? Yeah, there it goes. Verse 4. Who are you, who, you are, you who are trying, rather, to be what? What does it mean to be justified? What does it mean to be justified? To be declared, in other words, you who are trying to be declared righteous by the law have been alienated from what? I'm just going to throw this out here now. Stop telling people we keep the Sabbath because we want to be saved. It's wrong. That's misleading and it's wrong. We do not keep the commandments to be saved. We keep the commandments because we are saved. Because you cannot do good things to earn your salvation. This is what Paul is saying here. He says you're trying to be justified by the law, but if you try to justify yourself by the law, you're actually doing the opposite in your relationship with Christ. You are alienating yourself with Christ. There are some saints in here, everything they do, they do from a guilty conscience. Oh, I'm going to go say I'm sorry. Well, I guess I'll, I got to return my tithe. I'm telling you, right, that ain't righteousness. How many times I got to use this example? 
Look, when my wife, when we first got married, she would be in the middle of the night, she would say she was thirsty, and then your boy would get up. You know, wake up the whole house, got an attitude, bring the water, put it on the table, get back in the bed, suck my teeth. Come on, man. That ain't no righteousness. Now, did I do what she asked me to do? Yes. But did I do it in the spirit of Christ? No. That's not righteousness. And so many of us are doing everything we do because we feel guilty. You're here today because you feel guilty. And guess what? God don't even receive it. No, notice what he says. He says, look, y'all, verse 4, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been what? Alienated from Christ. You have fallen, Lord Jesus. You have fallen from the only thing, Adrian, that can save you. The word of God says in Ephesians 2 and verse 8 through 10, for by grace, know your word, know your word, y'all. Know your word. What does it say? For by grace, you have been what? You got to know the word. You've been saved through what? Through faith, uh, not of works, lest any man should what? God says, if you were saved by works, then I'd have to give you the credit and you'd have to take the credit from me. You fall from grace. Verse 5, for through the spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. Verse 6, for in who? For in who, everybody? There is no other name among men whereby we might be saved. Come on in here. Somebody say his name like you know that there's power in the name. For in who? For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through what, everybody? Through what, everybody? Ah, through love, verse 11. And so look at your boy Paul. Your boy Paul about to get an attitude. Because what he's dealing with is, is there were some, there were some super spiritual Christians who had come into the church of Galatia and said, y'all got all these new Gentiles joining the church. We feel like this church is too liberal. Y'all, uh, you got brothers up all up in here and they're not even circumcised? What, they're not keeping the feast days? Oh, wait, 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 what's going on up in here? And so they came into the church. Paul's about to call them agitators. Now, I got to set this up so you can see why Paul was so angry. In the beginning of Galatians, I hope you all not bored by this because I love it. In the beginning of Galatians, in the first chapter, Paul comes out like a like a boxer. I mean, he's throwing punches. And your boy Paul's first thing is he says, whoever preaches a gospel to you, that is not the gospel that I preach to you. The gospel that Christ died for. He said, let him be cursed. And then he replied again. He said, and I say to you again, if there's anybody that preaches a gospel to you other than the gospel from which you heard from Christ himself, he said, let him receive a double curse. Your boy Paul is mad because he realizes, please hear me, y'all, please hear me. If you do not understand the gospel, then you will not understand how to live. And there are many of us in this church right now. We've been church people our whole lives. And the truth of the matter is, if somebody walked to us up, right, walked up to us right now and said, teach me the gospel. Teach me the good news. Tell me, where can I find God? Tell me, show me who God is. Show me who Jesus is. There are many of us who would not tell them, we say, come to church. Read your Bible. Pray. Is that what the Bible says the gospel is? No. 
Look what he says. Your boy's about to be seething mad. You're going to see. You're going to wake up in a minute. Watch this. Brothers and sisters, Paul says, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross. The cross is offensive. Because, listen, when you stand in front of the cross, you know what the cross says is? You jacked up. Who wants to hear that? Especially all the church folk who love to walk around like, you know, we're God's gift to the church. You know, we got our new sporty Bible and our, our new nice looking shoes and we got this facade of righteousness. God says, look, man, stand next to the cross and see how toe up you look. That's right. The cross is offensive to our pride. Huh? And so what he says is, he says, in that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. Verse 12, as for those agitators. Oh, boy. I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Let me explain to you what he is saying. He said, y'all coming up in here stirring up trouble, making people feel guilty, making people afraid of God and afraid of going to hell. They ain't free. Many of us in here, we ain't free to serve the Lord. We're not free. Everything we do is under condemnation. Wow. Everything we do, we're doing because we're, God is mad at me. I need to make him happy. Uh, I, I, I disappointed God. I, I need to please him. How God going to be disappointed with you when he already knew what you was going to do before you did it? If he was disappointed in you, he would have killed you before you got here. <laughs> that didn't make sense, did it? <laughs> but he could have. If anybody can do it, it's God. Amen? Look, understand now, you, God is not looking at you like, oh, how can they do that again? Here he come down here that aisle one more time. No! God has a look on his face like, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Though your sins be as scarlet, I will make them white as snow. He says, any man that comes to me, I will in no wise cast him out. The word of God says that Jesus said, if a man is in my hand, nobody can pluck him out. God is not looking at us with a stern look on his face like an abusive father waiting to strike us down every time we do something. Something wrong. Paul says, stop preaching this heresy. Stop preaching these lies. The people are enslaved to a God that doesn't exist. This is why some of y'all don't come to prayer meeting. This is why some of you ain't witnessing and doing ministry. Not because you're going to hell. Hey, you know why? You're not motivated. You're not. After 9-11, everybody was in church. 9-11 happened on Tuesday. I remember it vividly. Wednesday night was packed. That's fear. But when the love of Jesus Christ gets in your life and when you begin to feel his grace and you begin to consider where he has brought you from and, and you count your blessings one by one, talk to me. When you begin to count Please hear the word of the Lord when you begin to count the blessings and kindness of your God. His mercies are new every morning. The grace of God over your life, your cruddy life. You think about God that moves you to want to do what's right and serve God and testify. And, 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 and guess what? People can't shut you up now. They can't stop you from talking about Jesus. Everything that comes out of your mouth is God is good all the time and all the time, God is good. You start praying about everything. Praying while you're shopping and praying while you're in your car and you're praising on the telephone because when the kindness of God comes in your life, your boy Paul says, what you're doing is 
You're just making people feel guilty all the time. You're preaching fear. And he says, you know what? Tell every last one of them agitators to know, don't just circumcise yourself, cut it off. Oh, pa- Pastor, you don't have to say that. Okay, I'll just read it. <laughs> I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Let's break down real quick what he's saying. Number one, Paul says, if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no profit to you. If you are trying to work your way to heaven, if you are operating from a guilt perspective, guess what? Christ ain't no value to you no way. Christ is only valuable to messed up people. Christ came to die for sinners. If you are not in that category, then Christ ain't for you. If you don't see yourself as broke down, toe up, ugly from the flow up, got issues, got issues, got issues, got issues. If you don't see yourself as you really are, then guess what? Christ, don't, Christ ain't no value to you. Christ is only valuable to people that feel that they need him. Amazes me when I go other places and they don't know half the stuff we know. I mean, I just read the Bible and folk are shouting and falling all over the place because they are so excited about the good news of Jesus Christ. When I go places where, where, where people have not even heard the truth, and I sit one-on-one with people and they begin to hear what Christ has done for them. They are amazed by this. But when I talk to the people of God, we sit here stiff and, and unmoved and, and as if ain't God ain't never done nothing in our lives. What did he do for you? What has he brought you out of? Has he not protected and blessed and been your strength and your guide? And has not been your your resource, your provider? Has he not been your grace and your mercy? Has he not been your friend and your lover? Has he not been God? Yes, he has. But church folk will sit in. He saved you from hell two times. Come on in here. Three times. Come on. Lord have mercy. uh, Number one, if you receive circumcision, he said, Christ ain't nothing to you. Number two, everyone who receives circumcision is or must keep the whole law. In other words, if you're trying to keep the commandments to be saved, he says, guess what? Don't just keep the Sabbath. Keep all of it. But, but let me just help you out right now. Ain't nobody in here able to do it. Because if you were, you would have died for all of us. <laughs> Amazing me. People are I keep God's commandments. No, you don't. If there are any commandments that are being kept in your life, it's because the Holy Ghost is in you keeping it for you. You ain't keeping nobody's commandments. I'll never lie. Any attempt to deceive is a lie. You just lie. (laughs) Number three. Whoever is seeking to be justified by the law is separated from Christ. Any attempt to be righteous 
outside of Jesus doing it in you, you know what you're doing? You are separating yourself from God. There are some well-meaning people, and I say well-meaning, who come in church, and they, I mean, you know, and they just, I mean, they're just over the, they're just, they're just trying to do whatever they can to please the Lord, right? Understand this now. The purpose for which we have been saved is because God is trying to free us from the enslavement of being in control of our lives. Hallelujah. He's trying to break you from being your PR director and trying to make it look like everything is well and, and I'm good and, and I do this and I do that. But notice, that, see, this is this stuff. He says if you are trying to be justified by the law, you are separated from Christ. Number four, such ones have fallen from grace. <laughs> grace is not for folk who are trying to use the law as a means to be saved. The whole purpose of grace is a hookup. Anybody ever got a hookup before? Oh, y'all looking at, oh, no, okay, y'all, y'all told you. Anybody ever got hooked up on something before and you ain't had no business getting the hookup? I never shall forget, I was driving uh, on the campgrounds of the Allegheny East Conference and, and I, I, wasn't, I wasn't supposed to be driving. I was like 12 years old. My dad had a 77 Chevy Suburban, big old loud thing with headers. It had about four or five different colors, looked like it was about to be painted, but I wanted to drive so bad. And I said, Daddy, please let me get in this car, let me drive it. And my father said, all right, it was late at night, nobody was around, it was, so hopefully nobody was going to get hurt, right? And so my dad let me get in the driver's seat, and he sat in the passenger seat, and as, and as I start, started that, that, that thing, I mean, boy, Lord have mercy. Boy, man, I said, oh, man, it's about to be on now. It's about to be on. And the minute, and now I didn't have power steering. Pray, pray, church. The, the truck did not have power steering in it. I'm already in trouble. And as we're going up the hill, I had to make a sharp right turn. And, and, and as I put a little, little something on, on, on the pedal, uh, that thing got away from me. And I tried to turn the steering wheel as fast as I could, but I was not strong enough. Somebody's going to hear this thing right now. I was not strong enough to get. And so what happened was is I turned and I knocked down the whole fence. Security was out, and my father immediately, he said, switch seats. My father took me, threw me on the other side of the seat, and he sat there. Security came up, and they said, Ron, are you all right? He said, yeah, man, I'm just tired. I got to hook up. Grace is God the Father seeing that you are guilty. Jesus switches seats with you. He is not only your judge, but he is also, how can you lose? He's the judge sitting there about to give the verdict, and then he turns around, moves you out of the way, takes your place and says, Your Honor, but I have kept the law. Your Honor, I have been obedient. I've kept it perfectly. There's not any vile in my mouth. I have done everything righteous. That's grace. You got hooked up. Now, let me end this. Let me end this. Let me move here. So your boy Paul is spending all this time telling these folk you don't need to be circumcised. Now, let me give you the short history. He is preaching this to a church in Galatia. All right? Thus, the book of Galatians. Paul says, look, man, y'all so bent on this circumcision thing? Man, if, you, if you're going to do that thing, go ahead and cut yourself off. 
Your boy Paul spends a whole book telling them it's not the law, it's faith. Then, about a year later, after he wrote this book, Paul hears that these same knuckleheads have been running all over the church, all over throughout Judea, and trying to get folk to do the same thing. So they called this thing the Council of Jerusalem. And Paul said, listen, we got some agitators, these same agitators I dealt with last time. These are the same ones that tried to kill Paul. Watch this, y'all. And when Paul was in Galatia, these same folks, they hated his message so much that they stoned him. The Bible says that they thought Paul was dead. It says that the people of God stood around, said the disciples stood around Paul and prayed. And Paul walked up and left the city. A year later, they still doing it. They still trying to find a way to work their way into heaven. And this is what happens. Watch this now. Galatians and, and Acts chapter 14, verse 9, and, and Acts 15, 1, use those as reference points. The word says they're still doing that. And so a year later, Paul, in the book of Galatia, he, wrote, he writes the book of Galatians to, to fight this thing a year before. Now watch what Paul does. It's almost going to seem like a contradiction. Verse 1 of Acts 16. The Bible says, we're going to close here. He says, Paul came to Derby. Now, just so you'll know, Derby is in Galatia. And then to Lystra, that's in Galatia, where a disciple, so get this, y'all. Paul is going back to the place where they tried to kill him. We ain't serious about ministry. Somebody offends us, we're done. Look, let me, let me ask you a question. Okay, they didn't speak to you, they didn't talk to you, uh, you know, they don't like your kids, they don't like this, they're like that, you offended now, and so now you're going to quit and you're not going to do this no more. Uh, how about this? They stoned your boy and left him for dead. Paul says, I ain't tripping, it ain't about me, I'm going back there. While your Paul is going there, he has a young little, uh, little buck, a little, little, little shorty that he's, he's trying to train in ministry named Mark, but your boy Mark doesn't like that Paul is getting persecuted. So your boy Mark gets scared and says, you know what? I can't handle this. I'm going back home to my mama. So Paul and Barnabas got in an argument. Paul's like, man, I am not taking no more rookies with me like this who is afraid to suffer. There's some guys that want to be in ministry because they like the glitz and the glam of ministry. They can stand up and preach. But if you ain't willing to suffer, Paul said, I don't want you rolling with me. He said, ministry is about suffering. It ain't about riding, getting up there preaching, wearing your bow tie and your pointy shoes and the folks say amen. No, listen, you gotta be, you got to be willing to preach God's truth even if people try to kill you. Paul says, I'm done with Mark. Tell him I'll holler. So watch what happens. So as he comes to Der Derby and Lystra, I'm almost done. It says where a disciple named Timothy, the same Timothy he wrote the book to, he lived there, whose mother was Jewish, and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. Verse 2, so, he, so his mom was in the church and his dad wasn't. Verse 2, the believers at Lystra and Iconium, or Galatia, spoke well of Timothy. In other words, Paul just lost somebody, now God is about to replace him. Verse 3, Paul wanted to take him, Timothy, along the journey. So he Whoa, 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 Paul just wrote a whole book telling folk they didn't have to be circumcised. Stay with me, saints. Stay with me. Stay with me. He just wrote a whole book. He just organized a big general conference session on it. 
And now they're going around to the churches to tell them this is not necessary for salvation. And then he gets a new sidekick named Timothy. And the first thing he says to him is, you need to be circumcised. Listen, listen y'all ain't receiving this then. We ain't talking about no little boy, no baby. We talking about a grown man. And I got any men in here that understand what I'm talking about. Come on in here, somebody. Most of us in here that have been circumcised, we didn't know when we were. Come on, say amen, somebody. Hey, praise God that you are, amen, and that you don't have to be. Come on, say amen. This man is a grown man between 17 to 21 years old, and Paul says, look, if you're going to do ministry with me, he said, you got to be circumcised. Your boy Timothy was like, let's do it. Now, the first problem I have is this. You just told us that it's not necessary to be circumcised. Now, you're going to turn around and the first thing you're going to do is tell this young buck to be circumcised. Paul, are you being hypocritical? Are you being contradictory? Why would Paul tell this young buck to be circumcised? Why would he put him through this agony? Well, some of y'all, y'all would have told him to do it just because you went through it before and you wanted somebody else to go through it. I've seen that a thousand times in church. Oh, yeah, she got pregnant out of wedlock. Well, she, when I came in and I got pregnant, they put me out of the church, so we got to put them out there. So, so because you went through, you want everybody to go through. This is not what Paul is doing. Paul is saying this. Look, we're about to go deal with some folk who see things only one way, and they need to be saved too. Oh, please, come on. He says, they will not even receive your word, Timothy, Unless you make this concession and are circumcised. Timothy, so interested, disinterested in himself and so concerned about ministering to others, said, I'm willing for you to cut on me. Lord have mercy. Jesus. Four weeks it would take him to heal. Four weeks of agonizing pain. There's no anesthesia circumcise him I'm down Timothy says now Paul was not telling him to be circumcised for salvation Paul told him to be circumcised for ministry oh listen get, get me get me on this y'all why would he tell him you don't need to do this in order to be saved then turn around and tell him to do it here's a here's the point this, this is the point about Christian lifestyle see so many of us do stuff we, we live a certain way you know we, we're doing this we're doing that and the bottom line is, we're doing what we're doing, but we have no concern about people's soul salvation. What we run around and do is say, this is between me and God. No, it ain't. Stop telling that lie. Your boy, Timothy, now, here, now let me just ask this question. I, I mean, this is the way I think. He's circumcised, right? Why couldn't Paul just take the man on the trip without circumcising him and just hope that somebody didn't ask? Let me tell you why. Because they were going to ask, is he circumcised? That's right. That's right. And if he said yes, they're going to say, let me see. What the sermon really is about is this. Although Timothy did not have to do it in order to be saved, he did it in order to help somebody else be saved. Here, here it is. One of the things that blows my mind, church folk are not willing to make any kind of inconveniences. Oh, 
I'm about to go there. What you look like if you're in the Bible? And we read in the Bible about Glenville. Oh, man, we, the Glenville Church, and they, uh, they changed their worship services. What a great sacrifice they made. Your boy got circumcised. Oh, oh what, what a great sacrifice she made. She came to church. And I got up and came to Sabbath school. Y'all to be happy I'm here. Your boy got circumcised. He altered his body. He altered the most sensitive part of his body. Just if he could try to reach one person. I want to ask you right now. What are you willing to give up? that may not be right or wrong, but that might be sensitive to you just so that somebody is saved. I'm not doing this, Pastor, because this is my conviction. Man, notice Paul is trying to reach people that tried to kill him. Some of us, because people have offended us or done something to us, we cut them off. I'm done with you. I'm done. I ain't going back over there. I ain't going with them. I ain't been in their class. I ain't praying with them. Are you? That's you so unspiritual. They tried to kill Paul. And he says, I'm going back. When you are saved, you want others to be saved. I can tell you if you're saved or not. How can you tell me that, Pastor? If you don't have a driving hunger in your life for people to come to Christ, if you are not sleeping it, if you are not drinking it, if you are not consumed with it, if you are not obsessed with it, then there is something wrong with your walk with God. A person that has been saved, when, when, come on, when you have gotten hooked up, there's some people like this. I've seen folk where they've gotten deals and they got a sale and they don't want to tell nobody because they don't want nobody to have the same hookup they got. But how many thank God for the folk who got the hookup and they called you and said, look, baby, I got a hookup over here. They got about three more of the products left. You better go and get it because when something good has happened to you, you want other people to know about it. What I find too often is, is in church, nobody cares. We are indifferent to people being saved. And we only want people to be saved so far as they come up to our level. Last time I looked at the Bible, the Bible says, go ye therefore. Let me show you this text real quick. And let me, I'm going to end with this text right here. Notice what your boy Paul says. 1 Corinthians 9. He says, though I am free and belong to no one. Come on in here, y'all. I have made myself a slave to everyone. That's why the title of the message is free to be a slave. He says to win as many as possible. Verse 20, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to do what everybody to win those under the law. Verse 21 to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law. So as 
to win those not having the law. 22, to the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I have become, I have become, I have become, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in his blessings. Case in point. Everything we do in this church should be done with those folk out there in mind and not us. Most of the fussing and fighting we have in our church about what we should do, what we shouldn't do, has everything to do with our socioeconomic preferences. What we like. I like this music. I don't like this music. Understand this now. Timothy was willing to get circumcised to reach a few folk that tried to kill his boy Paul. What kind of sacrifices are we going to be willing, are you personally willing to make as a Christian, as a church, to reach this population in Glenville? To reach the population in Maple Heights? To reach the population in Cleveland Heights? To reach the population on your street? What are you doing to inconvenience yourself so that somebody can know Jesus? I got a blessing with my name on it. He may not come when you want him, but he's always on a shut up. What are you doing? What are you doing to help somebody? If I can help somebody, then my living will not be in vain. I was telling them in the earlier service, you got to know where you are. They gave us some, rec- they gave us some data. I'll tell you this, I'll let you go. Said that there are 80,000 kids in this neighborhood between the ages of 11 and 30. Judy, 80,000 right up and down these streets. And, and y'all know that that is true, don't you? Yes. I was telling them earlier, Wednesday night, I'm walking outside, I see eight year olds, five year old kids roaming the streets at night. Huh? No home, nobody to go to. I mean, teenagers just out hanging out. I mean, it's just, I mean, there are kids everywhere. This is where God has placed Glenville. This is where we are. This is, we ain't in Bratnall. Bratnall's around the corner, but I'm saying in our initial perimeter, they are family too, but our initial perimeter in Cleveland Heights, we're in the hood. I'm going to preach this thing. We are in the ghetto. Where's Taina? Is she here? Taina, what's the school you work at? FDR. Tanya, tell them right now, I want you to tell them right now what you told me about some of these students over there in that school and what their life, family situation is like. Stand up and tell them right now.
Thank you. That's why we have block parties. That's why we got Hip Hop Friday night. That's why we tell folk to dress down every now and then. Because these, these kids out there don't got no clothes. How would, it, how would you feel if you walked up in here, stank, nobody to do your hair, mama's out getting high, and you walk up in here and everybody look like they, uh, they, they, they up in the big leagues on the 11th floor, look like they, they live somewhere in Beechwood. I can't get nobody to talk to me in here today. I, what, I'm, what I'm saying to you, no, they will not come back. What I am saying to you is this. What kind of sacrifices are we going to be willing to make to reach this community where God has gotten, listen, God put this church here. Y'all been here 60 years. He put this church here. He knew what was going to happen to this community. He thought in his mind, I love how Mike Nelson said it the other day. He said, in this dark, dismal neighborhood where there was nothing but death and satanic forces, he said, God put an oasis in the middle of it on 105 in St. Clair so that these people in this community would be able to see the light of Christ. We're sitting up here arguing about if the music's too loud, if we should wear jewelry, if we shouldn't wear jewelry, if we should come on in here. It's time to get circumcised. It's time to cut our flesh. What are we going to do? Let's have a meeting right now. What are we going to do? Well, I can tell you one thing. We had a, a meeting the other night, building committee meeting. I'm so excited about what God is going to do with this building. These kids don't got nowhere to go during the day. And ain't nothing to do in here. Sounds to me like we need to build something in this community where these kids can hang out as long as they want to, where they can get their homework done, where they can get away from their crazy parents, where, where, they, can, where they can have a hug. Where they can get a, a decent meal. And then it's like, well, why, why we got to focus all on the kids? Because if you focus on children, you'll get their mamas and their daddies. I'm just trying to make this text alive for us right now. We are like Paul and Timothy. We are here to minister. What are we going to do to reach this community? Are we just going to come in here every weekend, dress up, wonder, talk about church too long, church too short, pastor was good, pastor wasn't good, liked the music, didn't like the music, while we got a community around us. While we're in this oasis, there are demonic spirits. I'm going to go here. I'm walking up and down the streets, and sometimes I'll just walk around and just pray, just examine the neighborhood. I ain't scared. Scared of nobody. God has given me authority over this hood. This thing is mine. Come on in here. He has given me authority over this neighborhood. So I'll walk up. I'll, I'll go up Elgin and Parkwood, and, and I'll go down Earl and, and I, I Thornwood. I'll go up. This is mine. I've claimed this for the kingdom. And I see these sisters. They don't know whether they're a man or a woman. I see these boys confused of their identity. I see these kids walking around here with their pants down. And, and the natural reaction for many of us is to get mad. But guess what? You got to cut yourself. 
You can't go out there looking like no Jehovah's Witness with your shirt and your suit and tie on. Put some jeans on. Put some Jordans on and get out in that community and show yourself friendly to them. They're not going to hear you if you come looking like a person of authority. You look like a probation officer. You look like a social worker. Oh, y'all not feeling me. Man, God has convicted me on this thing, man. We are not making enough sacrifices to be able to reach all people as best as we can. We're still saying, come up to where we are. Do all this. Be like us. No! Cut your flesh. There was a bombing in Boston. Mark my words. Catastrophe is coming here. Thus saith the Lord. But when they look for help, they're going to look for the Red Cross. Where's the Salvation Army? I don't know about you, but when catastrophe comes, I want to be a lighthouse. Come on in here. Huh? And they only come here if we're already out there. Here's my appeal. And this is going to require a lot for many of us. There's some of us. We're concerned about our relationship with God because we realize we don't care as much as we should about the lost. That's it right there. Many of us are concerned. After you heard this message today, you ought to be concerned that you do not care as much as you should about the loss. Christianity is not about gaining nothing. It's about how much you lose and how much you're willing to lose. Your boy Timothy said, cut on me. Whatever. I want somebody to get saved. I want somebody to come to Jesus. I don't want, I, it ain't about me. I want them to have what I got. Father, in the name of Jesus right now. I believe that there's a transition happening in Glenville. There was a shift happening in Glenville. Father, where we, are, we are finally going to recognize where we are and not tell people to adapt to us, but for us to become all things to all men that we might win some. And Father, I know some are asking, well, well what, what, how far is too far? The Holy Ghost will tell you. If you ask the Holy Ghost, he'll tell you. Ask the Savior to help you. Huh? Is that not what we sing? If you call and ask for the Holy Ghost, do you not believe that he will guide you into our truth? We're not talking about going out there and compromising our beliefs, but we are talking about making a concession to our methods. Getting selfishness out of our lives. And start seeing the community as an opportunity. Seeing our neighbors as souls to be saved. But if you ain't saved, you ain't going to want nobody else to be saved. So the first thing I want to know, is there anybody in here who is glad about the grace that has come in your life? If you're glad, if you know that 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 ain't been nobody but Jesus in your life, your testimony is Jesus in the beginning, Jesus in the middle, Jesus in the end, everything that I've ever had, everything that I hope to be, I give it all to Calvary. If you know that ain't been nobody but Jesus, 
Stand to your feet right now and give the Lord praise. I'll make my appeal right now. Somebody needs to give their life to Christ. Somebody needs to surrender to Christ. I invite you to come. There's also somebody here today that knows, that wants to care. You want to care, my brother. God bless you. There's, there are others of you here today. You want to give your life to Christ because he loves you. Amen. Oh, man, he loves you with an everlasting love. Huh? How many know what I'm talking about right now? Now, here it is. If he did that for you, how many want to see that happen for somebody else? Is there anybody here bothered by your walk with God and you're saying to yourself, Pastor, it bothers me that I'm so indifferent to other people. Even if they're old school, sometimes you got to make an adjustment to old school people so that you can win the old school. We don't throw anybody away. Are you saying to me that you are willing to do whatever it takes to help somebody to know Jesus. It's not in you to do that. You need the baptism of the Holy Ghost in your life. Is there somebody in this church today that wants to be a soldier for the Lord? You want your mind to change and start being concerned.